welcome to the Dairy Defined podcast. The summer of coronavirus is turning to autumn with little relief in sight, but we've already learned a lot through this crisis, and one area crucial for dairy is how supply chains work and what needs to come to the forefront when a sudden disruption strikes. Discussing lessons learned and the road ahead is Clay Detlefson. He's the Senior Vice President of Regulatory and Environmental Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation and the Private Sector Chair of the Food and Agricultural Sector Coordinating Council. That was set up after the September 2001 terror attacks to share information between government agencies and private businesses during crises that affect the U.S. food supply chain. Thank you for joining us, Clay. Thank you for having me. So as we head into fall, back to school season, uh, and, and the adjustments that always take place in supply chains, what is the state of food supply chains in the U.S.? Are we still seeing any disruptions? And, and if the disruptions have indeed ebbed, what brought us to the new normal? Well, the disruptions have calmed down considerably. Um, we've basically learned how to keep our food and agriculture workers safe. We've learned how to keep the food supply open and running and bringing Americans the food and products that they need every day. So what have we learned about how to do these things? Well, we've learned a lot, actually. We've, we've learned that our supply chain has some kinks in it, and we're going to have to work on that for probably the next year or so. Um, we relied way too heavily on foreign sources of uh, materials that we use every day here in the U.S. For example, there's a chemical called EBC, ethyl benzyl chloride, which is used in disinfectants. It's pretty much sole source from China. So when China set, shut down, we basically lost a very important ingredient and most of our disinfectants. Um, thankfully, working with the Department of Homeland Security and the chemical sector, uh, we probably will have three EBC plants opening in the United States next year, which will actually help us meet the disinfectant needs that we have in this country. It's estimated right now that uh, we're basically, uh, or we could triple our output of disinfectants if we were making EBC here in this country. So, you know, it's going to take, you know, probably close to a year. Uh, they are predicting, though, that it will be in 2021, uh, and we'll get the disinfectant situation taken care of. Hand sanitizers, our problem was with uh, isopropyl alcohol for the most part. And when FDA tried to relax some of the standards associated with hand sanitizers, we wound up with a considerable amount of contaminated product coming into the United States that was not suitable for use. And FDA had to, in fact, basically put out a do not use order and named a large number of products that were not uh, supposed to be used for, for American citizens. So we've learned that. Um, we've learned that social distancing, personal protective equipment are extremely important in the workplace. Um, you know, in the beginning with the meat industry situation, we had workers basically standing shoulder to shoulder with no personal space and limited supplies of personal protective equipment. It's very, very important to keep those crowded uh, operations as least crowded as you can possibly be and get the workers the personal protective equipment they need. And that has been a challenge for literally months. Um, a lot of people are demanding PPE, uh, including our first responder community and our healthcare workers. You know, obviously we can't take stuff from them. So 
we need more of that here in the U.S. And a lot of folks did stand up and try and supply PPE. But I can tell you that that discussion is ongoing uh, and we still are having very tight markets. So, you know, longer lead times are necessary to keep our operations running. It would seem, though, that given how much this crisis has been lingering and really even you hear a lot of discussion now about post-vaccine. I mean, we're still going to have needs for changes in social distancing and such. You, you know, you talk about ethyl benzoyl chloride uh, being available with three plants in about a year. It actually seems like a year from now there's still going to be a need for this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, cleaning and sanitizing, social distancing, I think those are going to be the norm uh, for many years to come and perhaps permanently. Looking then in that environment, it seems like, and we've talked a lot about work you've done with the Department of Homeland Security, um, these really become issues of national security in terms of being able to protect your own country and your own people that we weren't even thinking about last March. Well, actually, with the critical infrastructure program that was set up after 9-11, that's exactly what people were talking about. Homeland security is national security, and that's what we've been practicing for close to two decades at this point. Suddenly, this is really coming to front of mind in a way that, that it simply wasn't in the general population. I mean, I don't, I, I, you don't have to say, I told you so at this point, but, <laughs> but if you did. I mean... You know, we, we've been fighting a variety of battles. Uh, you know, initially it was all about terrorists and, and how they could harm American infrastructure. But then we quickly learned that our threats are by no means limited to uh, terrorist attacks on the U.S., that, you know, Katrina's and, and other hurricanes, forest fires and, and diseases can be a very big adversary, and we have to uh, address those. So really, we kind of learned that lesson after Hurricane Katrina, and we became kind of more all hazards oriented. And I think we've had a number of successes over the years, but I can tell you there's been a very steep learning curve and trying to cooperate with basically a ongoing battle between states and the federal government over who's in charge has, has always been challenging. But we've made real progress, especially in this current COVID-19 situation in getting the states and localities to recognize our critical infrastructure workers that are essential to keeping the American machine moving. If you take a look at a lot of media discussion of the U.S. response to coronavirus in general, you see a lot of criticism in terms of number of coronavirus tests, in terms of uh, regulations from state to state, mass guidelines that are confusing. Your area is a little bit different from that, and I would like you to characterize what you've seen in terms of the coordination, cooperation, ability to fulfill goals within your sector, which has been an important part of the response, but maybe not as top of the headline as some other areas. Well, I think the cooperation that the food and ag industries had with USDA and FDA in particular have been exceptional. But we were actually cooperating with many, many other folks in addition to those federal agencies. FEMA has been extremely helpful. As I mentioned before, we've worked very closely with the chemical sector uh, and trying to figure out where they can help us out when we were running into some very tight situations. Uh, so there's been an enormous amount of cooperation, and I think we, we achieve things that we couldn't otherwise uh, had we not had the infrastructure sector system set up 
and it's allowed us to do a lot. Let's go back to the workers. You were talking about some of the continued challenges with social distancing and PPE. How have you seen the response to that unfold and what more work needs to be done? Well, unfortunately, you are seeing some battles uh, that have spilled over into the legal arena where uh, workers or unions are are saying that the employers didn't care about the workers, they didn't protect them, and they got sick as a result, and then, you know, litigation ensues. So they're, they're still trying to work that out, including the food manufacturers. What do I have to do to ensure that the workers are absolutely safe? And unfortunately, there is no such thing as absolutely safe. Uh, too frequently, people are walking around with COVID-19 that don't know they have it. Uh, they may be on a production line where you've pretty much addressed, you know, social distancing. You put up plastic barriers. You you have personal protective equipment on them. But, you know, their whole existence in a food manufacturing facility is by no means limited to the production lines. There's restroom use. There's cafeteria use. There's changing uh, what's referred to as donning and doffing in the locker room. Uh, so it's complicated, and, and those folks have lives outside the plant. Uh, frequently, there are large numbers of people living in smaller abodes, so you have that close personal contact. Even things like transportation to and from work frequently involves multiple people in close proximity in themselves. So it, it is very challenging out there, and that's going to continue. So putting yourself back where you were, five months ago. Um, if you could see where we're at today from the vantage point of that time, what would be a positive way that you would have been surprised and said, gosh, I'm really impressed we got there by August? What would be a way when you would have said, I can't believe they're still dealing with this? I haven't gotten to that point yet, to be quite honest, Alan. Uh, this really caught a lot of a soft guard. I worked with the government on two previous pandemic threats. Uh, I thought we did a pretty darn good job. We had continuity of operations templates and, and other materials to help folks. But we were anticipating those pandemics months, if not years in advance. This one came out of nowhere and knocked the living daylights out of us. So, I mean, it's going to take a while to figure this one out. Plus, this virus is probably the strangest virus that we've had to deal with in this type of a setting before. Uh, it keeps on throwing curveballs at us. I mean, I'm, I was just reading a report the other day where someone had it earlier this year, got better, and now has got it again. Uh, so we don't know things like, you know, how long your immunity lasts, uh, this individual was only mildly impacted. So, you know, is there a, a, an effect if you have a severe case of it? Does your immunity system build up a better defense against it? You know, so there's there's still many, many things to learn, and, and it's going to take a long time to figure that out. What should we be seeing most in terms of safe and effectively functioning food supply chains in the next few weeks and months? We need personal protective equipment, lots of it. We need vaccines that provide a safe and effective protection, um, and we need tests. We need antibody tests. We need antigen tests. We need to know who's sick. We need to have those in an abundant supply. They have to turn around results rapidly in a day or so rather than 10 days or two weeks. We can't have tests out there that are being used with a 50% accuracy rate. 
those are things that definitely need to be improved. And why we're not there at this point is a little bizarre for me to figure out. I think we could have done a lot better in that area, and we must do better. Anything you'd like to add? I think that covered it. We're in a tough time, but I can tell you that I've seen an enormous number of people work countless hours pitching together, you know, seven days a week, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. Um, I think we got, you know, the food industry on the right track. It wasn't easy. It won't be easy to keep us there, especially if this mushrooms this fall with the flu virus mixing into the to the equation. So we got our challenges ahead for sure. There's no reason to celebrate, but there's no reason to be pessimistic either. We will get through this and we will be uh, returned to normal at some point down the road, sooner hopefully than later. Well, I know you've been one of those who has been working those long days and, and weeks and now months, Clay. So thank you so much for having a moment to join us today. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. That's it for today's podcast. You can find it online on NMPF's new Sharing Our Story page, which is a drop-down on our homepage, nmpf.org. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play under the podcast name, Dairy Defined. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.